In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12.21. Here, Paul is talking about love, and that's what we need to focus on in this world. Our knee-jerk reaction is to lash out at someone who hurts our children, our loved ones, or us. Much as I've trained myself to grow out of this childish habit of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, especially with children around whom I'm trying to teach and impress, I still see red, but my chain is rattled. I hope I'm more in control now than I used to be. Who wants to be acting like a three-year-old around their 19-year-old? Certainly not me. And so I try to chill. I feed those who have irritated me with gritted teeth. I pass them a glass of water. Just. I smile while my blood is boiling, but this is not what Paul is talking about. He wants us to practice real love. You know, rise to the bottom. Feel it. If someone hurts us or upsets us and we can ooze love, then the heaping coals bit comes into play. And in my humanness... I'm mollified. Happy new month and good morning and afternoon. It's September. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Are you ready for a fabulous day? My guest this week is Tina Smith, a homeschooling mother of two in Fresno, California, who's constantly coming up with new ideas to enrich her own munchkins and other children's lives. I'll be pulling on my woolly hat again to bring you the latest and greatest from across the pond. I'll be talking about Malia's last day at work, our visit to Kew Gardens and the Whomping Willow, cream teas, my son's brush with the reality of invincibility, a wild boar moment, saving money, bank holidays, and a brief reminisce about my children growing up. So sit back or stand up, as I prefer to do, with your cereal and juice or your afternoon tea and scone, and join me for an hour of reflection on the results of homeschooling. The Brits are so stoic, aren't they? They sort of shrug when they realise it's September and summer has passed them by yet again. And they go out and prune their roses. That's what they're doing today out here. The rain certainly has the gardens flourishing, but I could do with a few nice warm days. Okay, first off, my zookeeper son's brush with mortality that I briefly mentioned last week because I'd only just heard about it being so far away. One day he was fine and wielding one of his sharp Japanese knives as he butchered a wild boar on our butcher's block. Yes, you heard right. 
The next day he was writhing in pain and someone else was wielding a sharp knife over his body on an operating table. When he first called to tell us he was hurting, his blue-eyed papa asked him, Did you eat any of that pig? To which he answered, No pops. Do you have a fever then? He asked. Not that I can tell, Popsy. He knows what's coming. Then the clincher question which my cowboy learned from his home on the rage, Texas grandma. Have you been to the bathroom? Hmm... That's the cure-all for diseases in the McNinney Kaufman house. After 20-some-odd years, it never ceases to amaze me that our bathroom habits somehow affect our every aspect of our well-being, according to my southern gentleman. A headache? Do you need some prune juice? A stiff neck? Are you regular? A runny nose? Have you... You get the picture... Enemas would like to be a feature in our house. In fact, I think there's an expired fleets up on the tippy-top shelf of our bathroom cupboard, but their curative properties aren't welcome, so there it stays to evaporate in the dark. After the blue-eyed father-son doo-doo-o hung up on each other, I asked the question, does he have a tender spot anywhere on his abdomen? It could be appendicitis. Oops, just dropped the calamity bomb. Mad panic reigned supreme, and I promised to text my mater diagnosis toot sweet, but he, my son, had gone back to sleep. No worries there for a moment. But finally, in the late evening for us, early afternoon for them, our older son, sensing that mum may have a point after twenty some odd years of mothering and homeschooling, took action. He whisked the forlorn and bent double, not such a fine specimen of the human race, to the emergency room, where he suffered for a further seven hours before going under the dreaded, or was it welcome by now, knife being wielded on Simon rather than by Simon. He and I spoke very early the next morning, and he was hooked up to oxygen and morphine and feeling very sorry for himself. His brother and best friend from homeschool had just left. It was after midnight, and his girlfriend was there now. He gave me a virtual tour of his stomach with three neat little incisions superglued together. They thoughtfully used one of the incision spots from his hernia operation 20-some-odd years ago so the disfigurement to his muscular torso won't be quite so bad. He told me they used gas to get all the organs to separate so that the surgeon could locate and remove the angry, his word, piece of useless appendage hiding behind the large intestine without nicking a healthy organ. They basically inflated me, my son said nonchalantly. Even smiling hurt, he said. What kind of gas, I asked. Helium? I could tell he wanted to laugh. His girlfriend did instead. He tried to walk when the nurse wanted to get him up and moving, but he said it was too painful. But when she threatened a catheter, he was up and running. Hey, stomach muscles do a whole lot more work than we give them credit for. I told him I knew exactly how he felt. I did. I had four C-sections. I would have learned my lesson after the first one, he said gloomily. Good job women are the stronger sex, I thought. Otherwise, there would have been no zookeeper son, teacher daughter, or expensive dancer daughter. Just the oldest. Sensible son. I'm happy to report Simon's driving again and went to Mass on Sunday since he was off and reconnected with the older congregation from our early service, whom he's always loved. I'm sure he was happy to be in the spotlight around all those grandparent types. As Ian said in one of his news update texts, that boy will do anything to get attention 
And talking about church in the early service, I'm reminded of an incident that occurred a long, long time ago that really showed me some people don't belong there. And I'm not talking about children. For as long as I can remember, in my Texas life, that is, Sundays at church were where we sat on the back row with our children, who seemed to have somehow remained in that toddler, cheerio-eating, wriggly stage for longer than anybody else's children. Maybe it was because there were only two years between each child, and I'd just be shot of one stage when along would come his or her replacement, and we'd repeat it all over again. Anyway, we sat in the back row because it was less distracting for those in front of us. Plus, there was no one behind me to witness the pinchings. Not, they scream even louder in church, the high ceilings of wonderful acoustics. Or suffer the near constant rustling in the diaper bag I did to retrieve colouring books and Cheerios, water cups and more Cheerios, the fussing and switching of places, the back rubbing and placating that went on in an hour. I mean, I'd have hated to have me to have to sit behind me me during this stage of my homeschooling parenting life. So we thought we were being less distracting sitting behind everyone. Obviously, we learned this particular Sunday, we were distracting in another way. Our children's voices carried forward. They couldn't manage real whispers. Some of them hadn't fully internalized the concept that church is where we keep quiet, no matter what. It was early on in our new familiness. My youngest was one, the others two years apart, three, five, seven. Yes, bless me. Where was the nursery? None of my children wanted to go to the nursery. Church was much more fun. It was somewhere around the Our Father, just before communion, the most exciting part of Mass for my crew, because they were actually allowed to get up and walk around as they made their way to the communion communion rail. A man from few rows in front of us with an unholy scowl on his face walked out. He wasn't on the way to the nursery to pick up his children or off to the bathroom to get a drink of water. No. As he turned the corner right at the edge of our overflowing and exuberant back pew, he looked at me directly in my eyeball, glared as he surveyed the rest of my innocent little brood and stormed out of the nave into the narthex, leaving the noise of a hissing automatic door slamming in his wake. Both Matthew and Luke in their Gospels report Jesus as saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I was upset. I mean, my skin wasn't that thick, even with four young'uns in tow. But as I said, some people should not be in church, and it's not the children. We carried on with our Sunday ritual, because by then we were friends with the priest, Farnay. <clears throat> our children's pet name for Father René, and he told us to take no notice. The offended individual was never seen again. His wife continued attending. I think he found an even older person's church. We continued going to the early service and sitting in the back row, and the children developed an attachment to the shorter said service and all the loving grandparent types who spoiled them with love and attention, just what the doctor ordered for Simon last Sunday. During this back row period of our lives... There was a family who used to sit in front of us at Mass. Well, everybody used to sit in front of us. Truly, this is the only place where I could stare unhindered and without repercussions at other people for any length of time, albeit their backs, but other families just the same. We hardly ever went out anywhere where there were people who could be prime subjects for observation. We were managing on one income and could only do things that were free, so even an hour of people watching at McDonald's was not in our budget. So the family pew in front of us, Mum and Dad, had three grown children. 
Well, they looked grown to me. They were taller and bigger than my rugrats, almost up to their parents' shoulders. By looking at them, I could tell they could all dress and eat alone and do their hair and walk unaided and participate in the liturgy appropriately. I'd study my brood lovingly, well, not always, four under six, the baby still in her carrier, the just two-year-old drooling on teething rings, the three-year-old actively eating Cheerios, the five-year-old focused on the service, and he was fortunate he could actually stand on the pew for a better view. And I thought, I can't imagine my family ever looking like that. It was hard because mine was still so dependent while the envied family were all independent. But here we are today, hardly a blink later. Everybody's grown up. No more colouring books and Cheerios at church. So if you can enjoy your young ones now while it lasts, life will eventually change. It has a habit of doing that. I'll be back in a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressy. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on Togedat.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from the competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDoeswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people can be you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Doeswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Tugginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
My guest today is Tina Smith, a fellow homeschooling mum who's passionate about her children, her husband, other family members, and a host of other things which we'll be talking about today. Tina lives in California and is president of the Learning Village Homeschool Resource Center of Fresno, a board member of the Discovery Center and creator of mummychats.com, a live chat site for mums to connect with mums. She's also the author of How to Create a High-Quality Mummy and Me Program. And when she's not mummying, homeschooling, or doing a million other things, she runs the fresnofamily.com website where her neighbors can go and find out all sorts of things that will help enhance and enrich theirs and their children's lives. Welcome, Tina. Hi, you make me sound so impressive. <laughs> well, you know, that's what I'm here for, and you are. And it's early. <laughs> Yes, very early. I'm watching well, the thanks, sunrise. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for starting your day with me, Tina. How are you? I'm doing okay. Just woke up, so yeah, <laughs> not, not yeah. sure how the day's going yet. Well, I'll make it go fantastically for you, so <laughs> let's get started. Now, okay. you're a busy person, but before we talk about what you're doing now, you know me, and I, st- I, I put a great amount of store in our background and how we were brought up as to how we end up and what we're doing and why we're doing it today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your childhood, you know, where you grew up, your siblings, and where you fall in the family dynamic. Oh, well, that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> well, uh, my father was a United Methodist minister up until I was um, about seven. Then he joined the Navy, so then he was a chaplain in the Navy for the vast majority of the rest of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And we traveled all over the world. We ended up in Sicily and um, Okinawa, Japan, and... Uh, various other states, so we've traveled all over, and so um, I have this wanderlust in me now that I can't seem to feed anymore because I'm stuck in one place now, which oh. is bizarre to me, but my brother is uh, uh, actually traveling all over the world still, so I kind of live vicariously through him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I grew up... Uh, so is your brother um, older or younger? Younger. He's two years younger than me. Okay, but and it's just you and your brother? Just me and my brother, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so we just traveled all over the place and experienced yeah. tons of tons of things. I mean, it was just amazing. And living yeah. in other countries, my parents were really big on doing all kinds of outreach to the local communities. So I got out, we got out there and experienced the cultures that we were living in to the nth degree. And um, yeah. so I have really, really strong, m- wonderful yeah. memories of all my my jaunting about the world and. Yeah, and, um, you know, um, did you, you went to school everywhere you went, right? Yes, yes, I was in the Department of Defense. Yeah, we went to the Department of Defense schools. Yeah, and so, I mean, because Americans are really good about that. They have their own schools wherever Mm -hmm. they go and their own, you know, supermarket, everything. I mean, they they really look after their people. And I'm not saying that, you know, the English don't look after their people, but we're kind of (laughs) thrown out there and kind of have to fend for ourselves. And if we can find (laughs) us, fine. But generally, you know, as you know, know, I was sent home to boarding school. So, I mean, that's great that you were able to actually stay and and live in those countries for how, how long were the postings? A couple of years? Uh, yeah, Italy, we were there for two and a half years from my second grade through fourth grade, which actually second grade was kind of a nightmare for me because I had three schools and four teachers. Yeah. So that was my uprootal, uh, 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 the uprooting year. Yeah, Okinawa was three years. Uh-huh. 
And uh, my my parents also did a lot of traveling, and they would say to they said before I settled down, my goodness, what did we do to them? You know, because we just couldn't settle. We just wanted to you know carry on traveling, but eventually both my brother and I did settle down. So uh, now I'm looking around and I'm going, okay, I can start traveling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely would have traveled some more, um, but I met my husband and I had, you know, finally found some roots and uh-huh. coincidentally, my husband ended up being uh, from the town where my parents had finally settled. And uh, so it was kind of weird how I ended up here, but <laughs> everybody asks me if I'm from here because my parents live here. I'm like, no, <laughs> I haven't lived so, here that long. So where were you born then if you're not from California? Um, I was born in Evanston, Illinois. Okay. So I was, and I only lived there for about six months. Even before my dad joined the Navy, we moved around like every couple of years. So my dad was pretty new in the church when I, he actually just got his first um, posting when uh, I was a baby. So mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. was moved around by the church a lot, even before, yeah. even before we joined the Navy. So I'm just used to moving. So I'm <laughs> so bizarre to me that my husband's never moved. Um, oh, right. remember, once when he was a kid, like tiny, but other than that, it's just bizarre to me to be in one place. This is the longest yeah. I've ever been in one place. I've been here for, gosh, 12 years now, I think. Oh, yeah, God. well, I was in Texas for over 20 some odd years in the same house, and my children go, It is so great to still <laughs> live in the same house that we were born in, you know. And I go, yeah. Well, I did something. That was, that's a good, that's a positive look on that. So. Oh, I keep wishing that okay. I can expose my kids to some more moving or, or I wouldn't do the same thing to them that I had because it was pretty stressful, but I do feel like I got a lot of resiliency from it and I just, I just thrive on new things now and I find myself bored if I don't, at least since I'm not moving, I have to like keep my activities new and keep doing new yeah. things and meeting new people and doing new things. Otherwise I, yeah, so I think that's, that's why I do so much. <laughs> Yeah. So um, although your education probably was pretty, you know, um, standard, a pretty standard American education, um, you were able to get out into the culture and and see, you know, what what other people lived like and, um, you know, the country and that. So did you go to school until like three o'clock in the afternoon or did you just have like morning school in some of the countries you were in? No, it was just regular school like anybody else in America. Yeah, Yeah, it was just till the afternoon and and then, but you know, like especially when we lived in Okinawa, every single weekend, I think we did it some in Sicily too, but not as much. Although I was younger, so I don't have as strong a memory. But um, Sicily, I was, um, I mean, Okinawa, I was uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, so I have much mm-hmm. stronger memories. And uh, we, every weekend, we'd get out and do. Um, my dad would do what he called TLC trips, and we'd go out into the community. We'd take a group of of Marines because he was stationed with the Marines for most mm-hmm. of his career, actually, in the Navy. And um, and we would go and do um, trips where we would go to, like, children's homes and and, mm-hmm. and old folks' homes and stuff, and we'd do, like, you know, painting of playground equipment and cleaning up of weeds and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff like that. So mm-hmm. lots and lots of memories of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, you love working with children. I mean, obviously, you know, you've, you've talked about it and some of the things that you do are all kind of child-related, the discovery yeah. school and, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, whether they're been. your own children or other people's children, you just love being around children. And right. I, was, I was just thinking, I bet the mums loved dropping their children off in your classroom because they knew they were going to be safe. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I was also the crazy one that was, like, when I taught preschool, I was the one, I was the afternoon teacher, and I uh, I was the crazy one that would take out the boombox and crank up the tunes and, and go out and dance with the kids and yeah. be nuts. <laughs> So, so when you were teaching these young children, um, just from your perspective as a teacher, were they all right? You know, were they were they happy being sort of not with their parents? I mean, can you see that or not? I mean, I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, from the other side, whether you could notice that the children probably adapted really well to being in a classroom with other children and away from well, the parents. Well, it depends on the kid because I definitely saw mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of differences amongst the children. Um, it's funny, I just had this conversation recently with somebody, I don't remember why. Um, some of the kids, when they got dropped off, they were initially, before they adapted to it, they would just cry and cry and cry and cry. And it just broke your mm-hmm. heart. And there was a couple of kids mm-hmm. that stand out in my mind because they just, they cried for over a week or more. Actually, one little girl, yeah. I think it was like a month. But, mm-hmm. so some of them didn't adapt as well, but they always, they all adapted eventually. But, but, um, but there's, um, one, uh, characteristic that a friend of mine and I used to always really notice is that the kids who were there the longest, the ones that got dropped off the earliest and got picked up mm-hmm. the latest, and so they were there 10, 11, 12 hours, um, mm-hmm were the ones that had the most um, behavior problems we see it's, mm. so that was kind of interesting the, the ones that weren't there as long seemed mm. to not have quite so many but I mean it just makes sense when you think about it I mean they're there for yeah. so long yeah yeah so, so why why did you decide to homeschool oh well got a couple of hours <laughs> I, okay. I, I'm one of those people that can go on and on and on about it because I've got so many different reasons. There's no one reason, but um, the vi- the biggest reason I think that started me thinking about it is because I had worked in several different alternative education programs that were just so fabulous and spectacular, and it just seemed so striking to me the difference between those programs and what was happening in the public schools. Um, when my husband and I were newly married, I was um, substitute teaching for a few months for some only because I needed the money <laughs> and um and uh I just was just shocked at how just not child it wasn't very um developmentally appropriate for the kids I think for especially the little ones and and it just was so sterile and so um institutionalized and I just was like there's just no way that I can put my kids in these concrete buildings and I know what it's like I and mean, it really hasn't changed I mean there's some things that have changed but in in, in general the actual education the, the the way that they educate kids hasn't changed since I was a kid it's, it's pretty much the same so I, I knew what I was looking at was the, the same as what I had seen as a kid and I knew that there was um so many other wonderful ideas out there that were so much better that the preschool I taught at um, when I lived in Sacramento, which unfortunately has gone out of business, them, they also had an elementary program. And so I got to see what could happen in a smaller school, a private, it was a private school, nonprofit, and um, mm-hmm. they called it a peace studies program. Um, their whole emphasis was on teaching um, children to communicate nonviolently. And, um, and so you'd, you'd notice the difference between the children who had just arrived in the school versus the ones who had been there since preschool and had been there for years and had been very closely taught how to talk to each other without beating each other up. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, they'd, mm-hmm. you'd hear the kids on the, on the, on the big kid side would say, you know, that hurts my feelings, and I don't like it when you do that, and that makes me really sad. And, you know, you don't hear that kind of stuff in public schools. Kids don't talk to each other like that. And I no, just knew that no. there was just this 
other way that it could be done. And, you know, you walk into a classroom here, although there are exceptions because there's, you know, there's some wonderful teachers out there. But in general, you walk into a classroom, in an American classroom, and it's, it's just pretty, I don't know. For me, it just feels really sterile and, yeah. I don't know, not well, home. Um- Tina, we're going to go on a quick break. I'm talking to Tina Smith, and um, we'll be back in about 90 seconds, so don't go far. All right. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Um, so, Tina, you talk um, on your website and on your blog about um, attachment parenting, and I know that there's a lot to attachment parenting, and I think it probably um, fits in very well with um, homeschooling because it's it's more it's a way of life, really, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, and um, you know, did your was your mother like that? Was she was she a very sort of um, attachment nurturing type of mum? Well, I I don't know that I would use the um, the catchphrase attached parenting for her, um, but I mean, uh, she was definitely very nurturing and very loving. Um, but it was kind of that's kind of a it was not really the way that things were done back then. So, um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I um, I I fell into it when I was pregnant with my um, daughter, my oldest, and uh, I was reading some of the baby books about. Um, Different ways that you know, different ways of parenting babies, and there she had my the lady that I was nannying for at the time had a um, uh, a copy of Doctor Sears the Baby Book, um, which he's the um, kind of the person who coined the phrase. Although it's not a new way of parenting, it's just a kind of a new way that people are coming back to. <laughs> not new, but mm-hmm. they're coming back to it. And um, and then she also had a copy of, I believe it was one of the, the Ferber book. Um, where the, where you teach your, where you have your kids to cry it out, cry themselves to sleep, and they were just so such the opposite, stark contrast. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so I um I just would read back and forth, and I'd be like, okay, this one is not going to work for me. That just sounds cruel, and, and mm-hmm. so then I kind of went towards the attachment parenting way, and and um you know I I um 
it just was natural for me that I, I can't imagine doing it any other way because, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, you know, being really close to your baby and responding to your baby's cues and nursing them and um, and sleeping with them. Um, with, I, I actually had purchased a, uh, uh, what they call it, a co-sleeper. Um, there's a company that sells these little sidecars that you stick on the side of your bed for the baby to sleep in. And my baby slept in it for about all of two days, I think, <laughs> because it just didn't work. They need to be right on me. So, I just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so then from then on, you know, right in the crook of my arm until they were old enough to, to do otherwise. And my, my six-year-old has a twin bed right next to my bed still. So, mm-hmm. and he still frequently wakes up and, and needs me to comfort mm-hmm. him to get help him go back to sleep, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that. My, my 10 year old's in her own room, so they do grow mm-hmm. out of it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it just, it just seemed natural to me. It was just a, a, just a kind of a natural extension of how I felt about kids in general anyway. So, Yes, well, if you go back um, to, you know, sort of early, early history, I mean, all, all the families just, they all lived together. They didn't have separate yeah. rooms. And, yeah, uh, well, even in cultures all over the world still today, it's Today, the norm. that's right, yeah. It's the norm for most most other countries, other, you know, mm-hmm. more of the non-Western countries. But, well, even, well, some of, even, I think even some of Europe they do. So I don't know about England, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know what they're like in England. <laughs> <laughs> and that probably is because you know I'm learning a lot of more about the homeschooling here, and they have they have a lot of what they call autonomous homeschooling, which is where nobody, nothing can tell them or interfere with how they parent. They will huh. parent exactly the way they want to parent. And so I would imagine that if, as I dig around, I will find they probably have a different name for attachment. <laughs> it's probably not attachment, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny how some of these these older ways that you know they come back and they say they've decided that this that or the other is really good for your children you're going oh my gosh you know that was just so, from years ago my grandmother right, used right. to do that yeah. or you know and you're right about the other cultures too because i think that's something in the west that we are losing you know we allow other people to look after our children we allow other people to look after our elderly yeah. and i think oh, that's, that's so sad oh it's very sad yeah 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 all right, so um, attachment parenting um, kind of links in, um, I think, with the homeschooling. So how would you describe your form of um, home education? <laughs> right now in transition. <laughs> I actually, since I talked to you last, I actually decided to sign up with a homeschool charter. Mm-hmm. I don't think I told you this yet. Um, and this is the first week of it, so I'm still getting my feet wet. <laughs> and, um, I... I guess I've always called myself eclectic. I, I've never really had a specific way of doing it, and honestly, it changes constantly because I have not found my niche. So, I mean, after, well, I guess you'd say six years since my daughter is fifth grade this year, um, well, <laughs> according to the charter school, it doesn't really mean anything to us. <laughs> but um, I still am trying to figure out um, a way that I could feel good about. Um, I just feel like... Um, you know, I need to get to the point where I feel like, okay, you know, this is working. I'm grooving now, and I have not reached that point yet. So I, I actually I started the, the Homeschool Resource Center here in town, the Learning Village that you mentioned, um, specifically because I had heard about this fabulous program down in Visalia, which is about a, uh, an hour away from me. And, um, and I had heard fabulous things about them and how, how um, they had all these fabulous programs that you could plug into. And, um, but it was an hour away. And so I said, well, let's 
we can do that here. And nobody had done it here, which is shocking because we're a bigger city than them, and it just makes no sense to me why we don't have something like that. So I created it. But unfortunately, it hasn't worked out the way I planned. I always figured if you build it, they will come. <laughs> but I'm having a dickens of a time getting people to help um, pretty much was have been doing it mostly by myself um, with a little bit of help here and there and people who really want to help but honestly homeschooling families are busy you know this yeah. <laughs> so it's just I'm finally facing the reality that it's probably not going to look the way I want it to look so I this year is this you know, the school year is approaching again. I'm starting to think more about it again. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to try this other place down and an hour away and see what it's like. And so when I started researching it, it just sounded fabulous. And I have quite a few friends that I know that are down there that travel an hour to go down there. And so I plugged in, and, and, um, and so far it seems pretty awesome. I'm figuring out what it is. That they need, you know, the need for me, and they're very. This, there's all different kinds. Of, I don't know if they do this in Texas, but they have. Do they have homeschool charters in Texas? Yes. I know it's not. Mm -hmm. They do. Mm -hmm. So I guess it depends on the actual school, because depending on who started it and who's running it, they're very flexible or they're not flexible. And, and over mm -hmm. here, there's dra drastic differences. Some of them are much more like public school, and you just they just send it home with you, and you do what they tell you to do. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that, I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want that. I'm not interested. Like I've heard you say many times, I don't want the public school in my house. Yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. what I want. I want something yeah. much more enriching in them. This school is very open, very childhood learning, and very um, open to what you want to do. And you decide what you want to do. And if you know, you pick from. They have this fabulous library of curriculum. Pick whatever you want, and it's part of the public school system, so it's free. Um, and and then you take it home and you do it, and then you just bring back samples, and they guide you to you know where you need help. So I I kind of felt like maybe this will help me to stay on track because I. I have a really hard time with any kind of a, a daily schedule. I could, I get, I've written hundreds of schedules. Okay, we're going to do it this way now. <laughs> and then, you know, within a couple of days, it's completely lost. Because <laughs> either my kids are not cooperating, which happens a lot, <laughs> or I just, I guess, so, I've just got so many things going on. My brain is bouncing around constantly. I yeah. can't stay on task. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so you're not, so you're, you want to be an unschooler, but I think philosophically, you're, you're not, you, you really want to be more structured. Um, I do. I want somewhere in the middle, somewhere between yes. the school at home and the unschooling, because I'm not 100%. I'm not against my kids being taught things, and, 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 you know, I'm okay with introducing them to things um, mm -hmm. versus into some of the really hardcore unschool. I have a lot of friends that are unschoolers, are not interested in, like, putting their kids in classes, or, well, some of them do, but, you know, they're not interested in, um, and directly giving them something to learn, and I'm okay with that. So I'm kind of in the middle. I'm very, very much about childhood learning, though. I think that's, yes, that's the way yeah. to go. Yeah. Unfortunately, my personality, the way it is, I know that if you're gonna, if you're a really true, really good quality unschooler, you put a lot in your children's path constantly, and you keep it rotating, and you keep the mm -hmm. environment really interesting, and and you know you do field trips all the time. And I have friends that do this, and it's just wonderful. I can't do that. I can't seem to keep up the momentum. So, yeah. so I needed a little bit more structure to try and, you know, find my and so, way. And so what about your children, though? Are they, are they constantly wanting to be on the go or are they, um, you know, is your older daughter, is she happy just to, uh, well, well, I mean, what's probably, their, what are their personalities like? They, they, they're, the two of them are very different. Um, they tend to want to, um, they want to do their own thing, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, 
I just feel like there are some things that I'd like to make sure that I'm sticking in front of them to learn. And it's hard to break out of that mentality. I'm still trying to fight against that whole public school mentality, you know. But um, I still fight it. I figure it. by the time they're done, I'll have figured it out. <laughs> but, this is, yeah, they this want is the thing. I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, if I did it all over again, say I'm going to be a grandma homeschool, you know, homeschool <laughs> grandchildren, I would be a radical homeschooler by the time I get to that point. Yeah. Because I am so sort of... Um, I just believe that the kids will do, they, they'll be okay. You have to teach them how to read and write. Right, you know, And John, right. John Taylor Gatto, heard of him? Oh, yes. Yeah. Definitely. Well, he says 100 hours of read, teach them how to read huh. and basic math and then let them go. Yeah, yeah, Not definitely. 12,000 hours. In oh, definitely. School, I, you know? I don't, I don't believe in that. I think it's insane how many. In fact, when I first signed up for the school, she told me she gave me a piece of paper that the coordinator, which by the way, they call the teachers, the credential teachers that they have to, to guide you. Um, they call them coordinators. I love that. They don't call them teachers. And I said, Oh, coordinators. And they said, Well, you're the teacher. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, she gave me a piece of paper that said, okay, Maven needs to have 25 hours of, of, um, school time or whatever they call it, um, a week, and Taryn needs 24 hours. And I'm like, are you insane? That's a lot. So then I realized they don't mean sit down and teach them for that many hours. Now in the schools, maybe that's what they do. But <laughs> at home, you know, we count when we went swimming at our friend's house, PE, you know, and, you know, field trips. And, you know, when they're yeah. playing, I count some of my, my, my daughter's computer games she plays, I think, are very educational. Yes. She's building things and stuff. So, it, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, she's doing educational stuff. So, so, and I don't have life. to track Listen, it all. I don't life, have to write. Life is educational. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But my, I also have well. a husband who's um, not comfortable with just kind of letting us go with the flow. He, he's, he's definitely not into this whole unschooling thing. And so I mm-hmm. kind of have to keep him in mind, too. He, he wants to see that they're doing something. So I have to kind of keep his opinion in mind. He's their other parent. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. I have I have a friend who um, homeschooled, but by the time she got to high school with um, her oldest daughter, her husband put his foot down and said, you have to send her to school because she needs to do the four years of high school. And I personally, I thought I would be pulling my child out before oh, they I know, got high, school, high school, not pushing like, them in. <laughs> if I wasn't homeschooling them yet, I think that's when I would be pulling them out. <laughs> yeah, home, or, uh, high school. But it worked out. Yeah. It was fine. You know, yeah. there are some kids that are just really resilient and it all works out for them. And there are others, and you can tell as you homeschool. Well, Tina, um, you're, will you come back? We're ready to go on another break. Just come back for another about five minutes minutes and we'll talk about some of the things that you want to talk about with your websites and um, I've been talking to um, or I am talking to Tina Smith whose life and work experience is almost entirely revolved around working with children yay she's a natural (laughs) homeschooler I mean who else would her children want to be with Um, we talked about all the moving she did as a child and we talked a little bit about attachment parenting and we'll be back to talk more about her websites and other resources she wants to share with you after this short break so off you go get your cup or your drink of water whatever it is and come right back
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Attention parents and teachers. Here is a series of alarming yet true facts about the current state of teaching reading in the United States. The federal government has spent close to half a trillion dollars to improve reading ability, and yet we still have over 8 million students who cannot read on grade level. 440,000 students who have a total reading vocabulary of 50 words or less. And a national dropout rate of one new student every 26 seconds. Sadly, one of these could be yours. Fortunately, it's not too late to help. Introducing The Reading Show with Dr. Joe, a fast-paced, highly informative, easy-to-listen-to show led by nationally recognized reading authority, Dr. Joe Lakovich. For more on Joe on the show, check out his website, failurefreeonline.com. Listen in this week to learn amazingly simple ways to turn this problem around. The Reading Show with Dr. Joe. With your host, Dr. Joe Lakovich. Fridays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Information is power. The power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Tina, talk about some of your websites. Some of the, uh, a couple of the ones that you um, are excited about at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I'm working on a revamp for MommyChuck.com, so I, I'm doing it off the offline, so you can't see it yet. But once it's live, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, turning that into a more interactive website. It's, it's already out of chat. Um, it has chat software on there. But I'm probably going to swap that out with a new one. So hoping to revive that. That one used to be really, really popular back in the day, and it kind of sizzled. So I'm trying to revamp it and bring it back and get some more uh, scheduled chats in there with experts. I just had a chat um, a couple months ago with um, Dr. Larry Cohen of Playful Parenting, and I'm going to do a whole bunch more of those again. And, um, and then I also have homeschoolrealm.com, which is basically my uh, my any. I'm out on the web constantly finding new things and I'm constantly researching ideas and looking for new curriculum and ideas and activities and things, and I stick it all on there. So I finally realized I needed a place that was just about all that homeschool stuff that I was learning, and so I put everything mm-hmm. on there, all the books that we read and movies we watch that I think are great that other people should know about. And and then I also have a new website called Tina's Website Shop.com, which is still kind of in the beginning phases, and I do um, webinars for kids um, to learn how to do web design on that one. And I also am planning on selling eventually, I'm not quite there yet, 
uh, templates to websites so they can people can make websites like my other website FresnoFamily.com, which is a local home or um, local resource website for parents. So it has all kinds of information about my local area. And I thought other people could be making this for their areas. So I'm going to sell a like a kind of a website in a box of that so you can purchase it and make your own website for your own area. And um, I figured good. I could help mm. other moms out and help my family at the same time. Mm, that sounds really good. Now, I, I actually went on to your website, Tina's website, Shop. I went to uh-huh. all of the websites and I was looking at it and I was thinking, you, you said um, on Skype you do split, split screen and you can kind of coach on, on how they do that. Did yeah. you do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I've I, done I that have before. This- fabulous uh webinar software i found that yeah i i put on a headset and i feel very official <laughs> and the kids can ask me questions in the chat room and and i show them what i'm doing on my screen and i use wordpress for all my sites now and actually mommy chats is the last site that i'm converting over to wordpress because i just love it so much so i show them how to use wordpress and and how they can make their own sites i actually helped my daughter make one so i thought oh, i should be teaching other people's kids this <laughs> this is really cool yeah. we've had a blast yeah. with it yeah, really it's really fun. fun that you're teaching them, not the kids teaching you. So br- <laughs> kudos to you for keeping up with the younger generation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> all of that all of that traveling, you've really channeled that into something that you can actually handle, I think. I try. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it sounds as though you've done a really good good job at turning oh, your, you. You know, your travel lust into, um, you know, traveling around on the Internet, virtually. Yeah, travel. that's true. That's, cool. that's true. I've met all kinds of people that's- and... I kind of, I, I kind of figure I got the combination of my traveling and then my father being a preacher and a chaplain. You know, I don't. For those people who are preachers' kids, know that preachers have so many things that they're constantly doing, and I got that yeah. from my dad too. He's always organizing things, so I think it just kind of yeah. came natural to me, <laughs> organizing things and planning things. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tina, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank I hope you. you enjoyed yourself. I'm surprised we had that much to talk about. I don't think I'm that interesting. <laughs> Goodness me, you and I have got so much in common. We didn't even go there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we do. We have a lot in common. Well, I'm going to let you go. I've been chatting to Tina Smith, who squeezed me in the beginning of her day, and I hope I've started her day off fantastically. Oh, yeah. So definitely. we can talk about the wonderful day that she, way that she homeschools her children and how the lifestyle works for her and could work for you. There's no right way, just your way. Um, <laughs> Tina's the author, I love this, the author of How to Create a High Quality Mummy and Me program, as well as the original creator of many websites with resources to enrich her own and other children's lives. And um, to find her easily, I guess, which is the best website to find you on? Uh, well, any of them, really. Just any of them. <laughs> I just got Fresno. FresnoFamily.com. FresnoFamily.com is where I price them. Yeah, and link <laughs> from there. So thank you so much, Tina, for joining me this week. Have a wonderful and safe Labor Day weekend. Oh, thank you. You too. And I'll be writing to you about my website soon. So look oh, out for email from me. Alrighty. I'd love to help. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, I have always been a saver. And I have a psychologist friend who says that when we save money, we feel more positive and more secure. And we get a little bit of an adrenaline rush as an added bonus. Plus, saving a little encourages us to save more. And so the savings grow. But then what do we do with them? Well, if you're me, you fret about the future. And I'm not supposed to fret about the future. Good sense tells me I have no control over what's going to happen next or what's just happened for that matter. Two proofs of the pudding have their hands up here. My son's emergency appendectomy and the healthy willow tree falling in our garden. So what should I do? 
Should I spend it and enjoy it? Should I keep some back for another rainy day and continue saving? Or should I do some of both? The property market here in England is incredibly high, rather like New York and California. In Texas, there's lots of land, but here it's at a premium. For the first time since I moved away from England originally, it looks as though I may be able to participate in what was before an elusive property market. Although my Texan points out to me that we can get so much more for our money in America, the value here is so much higher. In the past, I've bought and sold three properties in England, each time made a healthy profit. In America, I've bought a and watched my property value plummet one home. We have yet to regain its original value, let alone make a healthy profit. During this time of American home ownership, my parents sold their house in London, making a healthy profit, bought outright a custom-built, albeit miniature, bungalow in Broadstairs. Two years ago, my brother and I sold the bungalow for my mum and bought again outright this flat in Beckenham. I watched from the sidelines in America as the prices went higher and higher for British home buyers, while ours dropped and floundered. And now, all of a sudden, I'm a player in the English property market, a market I thought closed to me. I could stand to realise some return on my investment, a return that could be a whole lot more fruitful than any bank account, CD or offshore investment. But this is still just an idea, a good idea, one with a lot of things to be taken into consideration, though. At the moment, I'm not feeling strong enough to be results-oriented. It's enough for my constitution to be process-oriented. That translates to mean, let's see where this sojourn in the land of my roots is taking us. And this past Monday was a bank holiday here in England. This would usually mean that in addition to the banks, post offices and government businesses being closed, all the shops are closed too, so that the workers could enjoy the day off by the sea if the weather allowed. Well, when I was a child, we couldn't even buy a loaf of bread or a pint of milk on these long weekends, so the shopping had to be done on Friday or Saturday to save running out of things. All that's changed now, of course, except on our quaint little high street, where all small family-owned shops and restaurants were closed last Monday. And on one of Malia's days off, I took her to Kew Gardens. Her comment as we were walking through the gates after paying through the nose was, oh, this is just like the Dallas Arboretum, which it isn't really, but that was her opinion. The gardens are officially called the Royal Botanic Gardens. There are trees dating back to the 1700s, and we enjoyed our afternoon looking at trees that had been allowed to grow in their natural shapes. Branches low to the ground and spreading like a canopy, marvellous for hiding in. We found the tree used for the Whomping Willow of Harry Potter fame and posed beneath it for photos. We walked through several rainforests and saw some giant water lilies, which can grow leaves of up to two metres in diameter. They were fantastic. The little town of Kew had captivated us on our arrival by train and we headed back to the historic square after we'd fully explored the grounds, but not, unfortunately, the palace in Kew Gardens, which required an additional purchase of another ticket. There's a bit of a catch here. Tickets for George III's palace can't be purchased without buying a ticket to the gardens first. There's no way to access the palace except through the gardens. A bit of a cheat, really, isn't it? Anyway, back to Kew Town. We found a lovely little cafe with outdoor eating and outdoor seating and ordered a cream tea for the Queen of Cream and a cappuccino for me. 
I had to help her assemble the Epicurean delight of scone, butter, strawberry jam, and lashings of clotted cream, and she was whisked away to taste bud heaven after the first bite. I was allowed a couple of nibbles. The scone was enormous. I told her I could make a cream tea at home if she liked, and she said, you can buy clotted cream? Yes, I said. And did. We enjoyed a formal cream tea at home over the weekend, and there are leftovers, which Malia dips into whenever she passes the kitchen, which is often since she's finished her job. Yep, she's on the downward slope to college. Her last day at Starbucks was Sunday, and now she grazes in the fridge and cabinets all day. For a dancer, she has an amazing appetite. She does jog, though, or has twice so far this week, and it's killing her fun times when she starts dancing every day. But she's not worried about that. She's just excited to be leaving home, to be moving out. We take her next week on Thursday, so I'll be broadcasting live from Leon C and full of news about our last week with a child at home before officially entering the empty nest phase of our lives. Yes, those times do come eventually, and I'll be telling you all about it right here on Toginet. And look at that. I bent your ear for another whole hour, so I'm going to wrap up until next week. We're off to the Jolly Woodman this evening for a final pint with our precious daughter and fish and chip, she's informed me. Then we'll be preparing for college and be off to Leon Sea to move her in before we know it. So I'll see you by the seaside next week. Before I sign off, I want to say thanks to two of my host buddies. Ali for using some of my ideas on her show, This Little Parent Stayed Home, on later today at 5pm Central, and Sandy, who read a letter I wrote to her about how my family got what they really wanted out of all the holidays we spent in England, on her show, Heartfilled Holidays, which is Mondays at 1pm Central. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, I miss you three in Texas, the hard-working staff at TogiNet Radio, my guest Tina Smith, not so bad, eh? And you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Rosemary, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. And I'm sitting here watching the lady out there, the gardener, and she's cut a load of flowers off this lovely, you know, sort of wandering wisteria type plant at the back of the garden. And she's just dumped them all in a blue bag. And I want to grab them, put them in a vase in my house. They're so pretty. So I'm probably going to go off and do that. But I haven't told you this, so I'm going to tell you right now. Tomorrow I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome for three days with my daughter and my hubby. So I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.